Hello and welcome to the Nirvana Strength Practitioners Panel Podcast. Uh, today we're going to focus on uh, kind of a new topic. We're going to work with, uh, well, we're working with uh, a man named uh, Justin, actually, last name? Seidel. Seidel. <laughs> so Justin Seidel. Um, and yeah, he's uh, starting, a, well, he has started a um, rituals, which is uh, focused on Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And uh, it's here at Nirvana Strength, and uh, I'm really excited to have him on board with us at Nirvana Strength. I think it's uh, so far has done really well, and uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about kind of the state of like uh, jujitsu globally, especially with everything that's going on right now. Um, what are some maybe tips for people that are kind of like stuck at home and need to train a bit more? Um, and even still, like, hopefully, uh, we'll get into a lot of, uh, discussion about, like, what's to be expected for the future with regards to, like, competitions and, um, even some, uh, maybe talk about, uh, training camp that we're looking to host here in the, in the new year. So, without further ado, Justin, um, hello. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on and, um, you know, having this, uh, discussion with me. I think it's just... Uh, it's going to be nice because it's just a continuation of like discussions that we've had all the time, you know, passing through uh, the halls. Um, so with regards to yourself, if you could just maybe give yourself, uh, give a quick background of like where you kind of like first started with Jiu-Jitsu and um, how is that all that kind of led towards, you know, coming to Bali? Sure. Yeah, uh, I started Jiu-Jitsu in 2005 in California. Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, we're really fortunate that California is a state that kind of like got the jiu-jitsu bug early on. So um, it, it was a pretty, uh, really great place to train. You know, I, I trained there for maybe like my first nine years, and I competed a lot in IBJJF tournaments and uh, BJJ Tour, and uh, a lot of the, the local tournaments there that were, gave me a lot of good experience. and. Um, yeah, you know, at some point I started traveling. I guess that was in like 2010. I did a, a training camp in Thailand at, at Tiger Muay Thai, and uh, I got my first taste of what it was like to train internationally full time at a uh, destination gym. And I thought that was something that was kind of like real special and unique. And uh, I went back home and kept training. And uh, over time, like, you know, that, that pull, that desire to kind of come back out to Southeast Asia was really there. And uh, I moved to Thailand a couple years later. And from there, uh, started working at a destination gym in, in Phuket. I worked at Phuket Top Team for a while and um, made some friends. And we moved out to Bali and, and opened a gym here. And I worked for them for a couple years and uh, gave me a really uh, awesome experience uh, working with a professional fight team and, and building uh, both kids and adult programs. Mm. And uh, from there, I left Bali and kind of continued traveling and teaching seminars. and doing guest instruction at gyms, uh, spent some time in, uh, went back to Thailand for a bit, went to Singapore, Australia, China, uh, back to the US for a while. Landed back in Thailand, uh, lived in Chiang Mai for a while. I spent about a year there working with another fight team and, and training some athletes uh, in Chiang Mai at, at Team Quest, and that was a really awesome experience being out there. Mm. And uh, yeah, and then I just kind of hit a point where um, I was really starting to burn out and, and kind of feeling done and uh, my body was really beaten and I had taken like a lot of just like damage over the years of like not taking care of my injur uh, injuries properly and I needed like a long break, mm. you know? And from there uh, I went back to the States for a while and uh, you know started 
started healing and like taking care of myself a little bit, you know, and, um, you know, did what I needed to kind of do to like get back on my feet. And I got contacted to work uh, with with a young athlete here, uh, Lonnie Stribosh, who wanted to uh, travel and do a lot of competitions. And it was kind of like a really different setup than what uh, I was used to doing before. It was like following private instruction and uh, I would be traveling to like a lot of international tournaments. Um, and yeah, that kind of was what brought me back to Bali. I, I, I made, a, made a deal with her and her family to kind of come out and train, train Lonnie. And uh, I trained her a couple years before in Bali. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and that, that brought me back, uh, back to Bali. And we started working and traveling and she's done you know, a really great job in the past year with tournaments. Uh, she's won a couple big ones, uh, Pampax in Australia, uh, Copa de Malaysia in Malaysia. We went to Abu Dhabi and did a Grand Slam. She took a second place there. And we went to European Championships. Uh, she had some tough matches there, but showed a lot of heart. And um, and then, yeah, uh, during that time, I came here and, and got a chance to see what Nirvana Strength was all about. And it was really like the perfect place I needed to be because I had all these injuries that needed to be addressed. <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah. I had issues with my hip and my shoulders and my back and, and all this stuff that was like really kind of keeping me off the mats. and. I got to come here and start rehabbing and prehabbing a, a, a lot of my body and like mm-hmm. start really got, uh, get a second look at training again, you know. And, uh, and you and I met and you gave me a really great opportunity to uh, start teaching jiu-jitsu here again. So that's where Rituals came from. So now I have uh, Rituals, which is our jiu-jitsu team here at Nirvana Strength. And um, yeah, just kind of moving forward and excited to see where it's where it's going to take us, you know. Yeah, so um, it's definitely for sure it's like, you know, good to have you with us. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really nice to kind of have that combination, you know, of like, obviously we do the prehab rehab stuff, but to actually have it be in combination with like the application of, of BJJ and, um, and and as far as fighting styles, we can kind of get a little bit more into like, what are the, the benefits of doing BJJ obviously beyond like just purely for the sake of, um, of, of fighting. But uh, to kind of go back to, to to your story, like for example, like for like black belt, like how how long did it take you to start progressing through the ranks? Oh, uh, to get to black belt, yeah, yeah. I did it in nine years. Um, okay. Yeah, jujitsu like progression is quite slow. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is you kind of prove yourself either through competition or coaching or um, ability. It's it's a long road, you know yeah. what I mean, and it's 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 a very long commitment because jujitsu is such a journey, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I th- I think it's not something you can approach with like only short short term goals in mind. You have to have some long term goals in mind too to really stick with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been doing jujitsu for fifteen years, yeah. so it's just it's something that's really a part of me. And like any time I've kind of like drifted away from it, jujitsu's brought me back in, you know. So it's just it's it's a big part of who I am, and it's a big part of my life, and um, yeah, it, it's great. You think uh, jujitsu, it's um, like on a global scale as well. Like it, it, it's there's not. I wouldn't say there's like really a a, a ton of people that that do it. Um, so is it have a very like small community kind of feel to it? Uh, I feel like jujitsu has always been a small world. Like pretty much everywhere I go, I, I usually through the instructors. Like we have mutual friends or we've met someone. Um, we we know some of the same people. Uh, so it is a small community, but as a sport overall, it's grown a lot over the past 10 years, especially yeah. with like the growth of the UFC. I think those two things grew hand in hand since you know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a component of uh, mixed martial arts. Yeah. So I think uh, with that component being a part of it, um, it really helped j- uh, Jiu-Jitsu blossom. 
Um, it, I think it really depends on where you are in the world too. Like in, in California, jujitsu is huge. In mm-hmm. the United States, it's grown a lot. Um, same, I think it depends where you go. Australia is huge. It's got a really big scene. China is really up and coming. Uh, Japan's huge. Uh, Brazil, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think uh, overall as a whole, jujitsu's grown a lot, especially in the past ten years. And and then at what point did you make like more of a, a bigger shift from like just competing and doing competitions and training as an athlete to working more as a coach? That's a really interesting question, actually. So it was literally as I was coming back from my first training camp in Thailand. Mm. Like I went and spent a month in Phuket and trained. It was like that first real taste. And at the airport, I got a text from my coach at the time who was opening a new gym. Mm. And he texted me, he's like, do you want to come teach at this new gym? And and I said yes. And that was kind of like my transition from it being um, like a very passionate hobby into starting to become my lifestyle. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, I would say 2010, 2011 was and, when that happened. And that was about how, how far into your, your BJJ uh, career? I was a purple belt. Mm. So it was about halfway through. And, like, I was definitely interested in teaching. And it was, like, um, my, my coach at the time was a guy named Dave Camarillo, who's, like, really renowned for his teaching. He's a fantastic coach. And uh, I looked up to him so much in his ability to teach that, like, I wanted to have those same abilities, you yeah. know. So... Uh, not only was he a great coach for my jiu-jitsu, he was a great coach for uh, grooming me as an instructor, too. Yeah. So, like, he's probably one of the only coaches I've ever had that would, like, sit down and talk about, like, presentation and, like, um, how to organize the techniques properly. And he was the first person to really sit down and be like, you need to be writing your techniques down and, like, look at where they go. And mm-hmm. looking at a bigger scale, it's, like, past it, just what was floating around in my head. Yeah. So he really helped me get more organized as a grappler. Yeah, I think it... I mean, I think with a lot of things, uh, especially with like high level sports um, and working particularly as a coach, I mean, you think about how long your journey was, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, I don't know if nine years is, is average or is that like short or, or is that uh, average? Uh, long? That's with regards to like progressing towards getting a black belt. Average is about eight to 10 years. Okay. Yeah. So my, my personal goal is to do it under 10. I thought yeah. that was reasonable. I, I mean, it would have been nice to do it sooner, but unfortunately I had like injuries get in the way that like took me off the mat for yeah. longer periods of time than I would have liked to have been. So average, so average eight to 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing something for that long and I, I would think even though there are some very highly technical aspects of like BJJ, um, I mean, there you're probably doing a lot of things like, like foundational things very repetitively, right? Right. Um, is there is there a difficulty in in continuing to work on those like basic foundational things, like just mentally or? So I think that depends on your approach to it, right? Like uh, I I remember definitely having stages where it was just kind of like. It was so repetitive, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But, like, I think as any good coach, we always look to build our fundamentals to be stronger. Right. So, like, constantly going through and getting different looks and perspectives from other coaches on how they fundamentally did things helped open my mind to other ways I could teach those moves. Right. And, and I think that's something that's, like, really important that you need to kind of seek and hold on to. Like, uh, I can't ever lose the uh, uh, idea that I'm a student, you know? If, if I start thinking that I'm only the coach, like, I've definitely... Not, not in that learning state where I'm going to stay passionate about my craft, you know? Right. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, do you find that in on the road towards, like, let's say, the eight to ten year period, like, do you find that there's a lot of people that kind of, like, lose patience with the process and, and give up, or 
Yeah, it does happen. Like, uh, it was sad to see some people that, like, I came up with, like, move away from the sport. But, like, life gets in the way sometimes, you mm -hmm. know. Like, uh, the sacrifice you kind of have to make to get black belt is, is huge, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I would see, you know, teammates uh, change for many different reasons. Probably injury would probably be one of the highest ones. They just kept getting injured and didn't want to continue. Sometimes it was just lifestyle choices. Either they got married and had kids, and they had to prioritize their life towards their families. Right. Um, that that was a common one. Or maybe they just lost their passion after a while, and they just didn't feel the same about the sport. Yeah. Um, but I feel like all the guys that have really been in it for a long time, uh, like all my my teammates and stuff like that, they're they're in it for life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I I think uh, jujitsu like you kind of get the jujitsu bug and it gets you, and then that's what you're doing. You're practicing jujitsu. You know. Yeah, it's quite. Unfortunately, I think when, I mean, in, any athlete that kind of gets the sport almost, I mean, I think there's a, for sure a big difference between, you know, purposefully like deciding that you're going to step back because maybe some other aspects of life kind of um, come into, into the view. Uh, but when you think of like injuries, you know, something that could in theory, like to some extent be like prevented or um, could be dealt with in a certain way that would maybe lessen the um the not just like the physical impact but like the mental impact because i find at least for me as well i think you know with regards to like big injuries it's like the mental component like trying to especially if you're constantly getting injured like yeah. having to go through that rehab process like over and over and over again right um maybe looking back at some of your past you know injuries um not to you know not to make you remember like traumatic things, but right. um, yeah, wh how did you, what kind of things did you do to kind of rehab from your injuries um, and how has that changed, you know, since the beginning? Right, you know, uh, I think, I think it's changed a lot because I think in the beginning I just tried to be tough about it, you know what I mean, which is the wrong mentality, 100%, kind of stuff, you yeah. know, like where it was just like I'd get hurt and I would just try to stay on the mats as long as I could, mm. you know, like uh, I broke my shoulder in a motorbike accident in, oh, in, wow. in, in Thailand uh, when I was living, uh, I was traveling through and I was going up to Pai and uh, I fished out real hard and crashed my bike and I separated my shoulder. And instead of me doing, taking active rest and doing like what I had to do, I just got yeah. right back on the mats. You know what I mean? And I was still teaching and I was still rolling with my students and doing yeah. all this stuff with a separated shoulder. And it was like, that was the wrong mentality, 110%. Yeah. I just needed to take the time to rest. In, and that's where it led, you know? Yeah. In that environment though, was it, was it, was there anybody ever there to like tell you like, or suggest that you should rest? Or was it kind of like, oh man, you're being a badass. like? just keep going like kind of uh, mentality kind of both like yeah. it was what i was receptive to hearing at the time i think and then mm -hmm. like i think i let my ego get in the way a lot in that situation where it was just like i needed a rest you know and eventually that's what it led to i had to take the time off but where again like i let my ego uh get in the way again was not doing the proper rehab mm -hmm. to get my shoulders strong again you know and uh the, the all the kind of injuries i accrued over time like I just let them build up more and more, and then I would, I, then I would sit there and look, and I'd be like, "Man, I'm spending like half the year off the mat, not rolling, because I'm injured all the time." But like, man, since I've been training at Nirvana, I, I like I had one knee issue like earlier in the year, but it's that's fixed, it's fine, and the rest of the time I've been great. Yeah, you know, and it's like, and, and to be honest, it's, it's like I'm, I'm moving in a direction where my body's feeling better than it has in years. Yeah, you know, and it's it's because I'm taking the, uh, you know, I'm taking the the time to learn how to take better care of my body and train for injury prevention and train to make sure everything's strong and yeah. in incorporate all these things that I had left out for a long time. Yeah, and I, I think, 
anybody that's kind of been part of like a a contact sport of any kind so if like for myself playing uh, American football for like 12 years there were like a lot of times especially like in playing high school ball in Texas or playing university you know football is like you kind of like you're supposed to just sack it up you know yeah. like you just man like you man up right yeah like um so I remember like I tore like I tore my PCL um you know I got it checked at the hospital but they were just like it was kind of funny because they were they're like, oh, it's a clean tear, so you don't have to get surgery. Um, I, and then basically, I just did like three weeks of like rehab. Yeah. And then I put a, and then I had like a really high quality uh, sports brace that I put on for practice and for for the game. So I just like played the entire year with a torn PCL. Wow. Um, and like I played one year as well with like just a fractured wrist, so I just had a a big like cast like on my on my arm right. for like the whole year um but it's, it is kind of interesting like but I, I for sure a lot of that stuff has kind of changed you find that uh, professional athletes are getting way smarter and it's kind of having a trickle down effect to um to, to the amateur ranks i think right um but you still do you almost don't see it um in a in a preventative way in a proactive way you see it kind of more in the um on the back end still yeah. quite a lot um, how to, how would you think, or what do you think would be the best way to kind of get across to like athletes or get across to people to kind of, um, you know, to think of, about taking everything from a proactive point of view. So even doing exercises like a prehab perspective, you know, you're kind of working on something when nothing's really broken yet. Right. I think that's kind of hard for some time, for some people. I think the best I can do is lead by example. You know, like, I think it's really important for uh, the guys here that I train with, you know, like uh, all my students that they don't only see me on the jujitsu mats, but they see me inside training too, Mm. you know? And, uh, you know, like I'm 35, I'm not getting any younger. And like, I want to keep doing jujitsu for a long time. So like now's the time I need to make the changes in my body so I can continue to train at the level I'd like to, yeah, you know? So, like, uh, I think that's really the best I can do and then try to steer them in the right direction. I think we're we're really lucky to have such a, a great group of people around us that uh, are so good at their craft, you yeah. know? Like, if, if you're training jiu-jitsu and you're injured and you're in Armada Strength, there's, like, at least, like, 25, 30 people here that can totally help you out, you yeah, know, yeah. With, with, that, with whatever injury you're facing. So it's really, like, how willing you are and how open-minded you are to making the changes that you need to stay on the mat like I would I would ask that person like how committed are you to this Mm -hmm. you know like do you really want to continue training jujitsu because if you're letting like the injuries get in the way and you're not taking care of them it's like you're taking yourself off the mat by by not taking this this path yeah yeah it's um you know I always say with like with regards to athletes is like their their most important ability is their availability Mm. right because you know you could be in theory like one of the best in the world but if you're if you're injured and you can't actually be on the mat or be on the field you're really i mean you're just a normal person back to being a normal person at that point right, right. like and um and then the, the mental toll of it can be quite um fatiguing right it can be quite hard um for yourself when, when you're recovering from your injuries you know like how how would you help with that mental part like i'm sure it was quite stressful yeah yeah, it is. You know, I think I think I, I feel similar to a lot of athletes. It's like all of a sudden the lights dim and like the world's not as sweet anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like it's uh, because this is our passion and like whatever your sport is. And, and like, at least for me, like jujitsu is my passion. You know, you take that away from me. It's like a big part of me is yeah. shut off, you know. So I just try to do the best I can. Like uh, what I uh, 
with the mindset I try to have now, it's like if I can't be on the mats, at least I'm doing something uh, to, to fix the injury. You know, mm -hmm. like what am I doing today to make my one, myself 1% one per, one better today? You know, like if I do that, I know I'm working in the right direction to recovery. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't matter what I'm trying to recover from. It's just like I got to work on it today and get through it. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, I just try to really take it one day at a time and, and go through whatever the injury is and, and try to make those adjustments. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, try to work around it in that sense. Um, and then, yeah, like making sure that you're still like being around your team, I think is another thing that's really important. Like I look at my team as my support group, you know, like they're, they're not only my students on the mat, they're my friends, you know, and, and they support me and I support them, you know? So I think it's really important to be around your team and like stay plugged into what's going on. Yeah. You know, like I, I think it's uh it's a bad habit to kind of like, you hear a, a lot of athletes like to get injured and they stop coming into the gym. You know, it's like just keep coming in the gym, stay present, stay with what's going on in the class. Yeah. Like, try to stay connected to your sport as best you can, because like, you're still important to the team. The team wants to see you around. You know. Yeah, yeah it's quite, for sure. It can be quite tough, especially if you kind of like go into hiding. Yeah. And then you kind of like can really go down the rabbit hole of, of uh, getting into some bad um, habits, right? And you just kind of everything just um, feeds on itself. You know, I remember. When I was younger and there was a couple of times that I got hurt, I would like, I would, you know, be stressed and slightly depressed because I couldn't train. And so I coped with it. Like for me, like I just ate. So yeah. I, would, I would eat and then I'd get in like worse shape. And then I'd get like, and then just like, it was just keep going that cycle and just kept getting worse and worse. But mm -hmm. for sure, like having a good social support system, um, you know, staying around the team, I think is a, is a good, um, for sure suggestion with regards to like, dealing with that from a mental perspective for sure um but like now you know a lot of people are having um you know we think about people having the sport taken away from them because of like let's say getting injured now you see a lot of people obviously kind of having some aspect or some amount of the sport kind of taken away from them just based off of circumstance with right. the whole you know quote unquote like pandemic and and virus and such and you know obviously we have our our thoughts about about you know if all this stuff is real or not or whatnot but the reality of the situation is that people that gyms are closed people can't train in the capacity that they normally could right um what are some or what are your thoughts on that just in general and then like what are some you know possible ways that maybe people can continue to like to keep up with their training in in i guess the capacity that is available to them Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really good question. And, like, I think the jiu-jitsu community right now is really hurting because, like, jiu-jitsu is such a, like, a full-on contact sport. Mm. Like, you could not be in a more intimate place with another, like, human being. You yeah, know? like, sweating all over each other. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. awful. You know? So, like, in, in that sense, it's like, yeah, jiu-jitsu's taking a big hit. And, like, um, it's hard to watch, you know? Like, I'm seeing a lot of friends with gyms that they have to shut down and teams are shrinking. And uh, a lot of people are, are making a lot of changes and... A lot of athletes are depressed because they mm. can't be on the mats, you know. It's a really tough time for, for uh, jiu-jitsu athletes. So, you know, I think it's going to very much vary on where you are in the world and, like, what your circumstances are. Like, I think the people that are, like, kind of getting together where they can and drilling with each other, like, I think that's great. Like, anything you can do on the mats, even if you've got, like, a small space in your house, there's, like, there's always something you can find to do that's jiu-jitsu related. Um, I think this is a really good time for everyone to kind of, like, work on like strength and mobi mobility training um i think that's again like that injury prevention side of jiu-jitsu is ver very uh 
overlooked. Mm. I think a lot of athletes just like to get on the mat and roll and that's it. But I think this is a really nice time for everyone to kind of like take care of those injuries and start taking care of their body in a little different way so that yeah. they can stay stay in the sport longer and stay on the mats injury-free. Um, yeah, and just staying like plugged in with your team. Like I think that's something that's like really beautiful I have seen about the jiu-jitsu community is like a lot of teams are staying together through this, you know. Um, and I, I think the more we kind of like work through it as a community, the better. And it's like it makes me feel like uh, really grateful for uh, the situation that we're in here. You know, like uh, we're we're really lucky that we get to get on the mats every day and train. And like I really try not to take that time for granted. Mm. You know, like uh, I kind of I I think the best way to look at the pandemic situation from like a jujitsu perspective is just to look at it almost like you're injured. Mm. You know what I mean? Where you're the you're your passion's taken from you right now, so you gotta find another way to fill it, you know? Uh, get more systematic with your jiu-jitsu, start to study jiu-jitsu more, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, I think the more the more you study jiu-jitsu, the, the better understanding you're gonna get. Um, figure out the things that you actually wanna drill and learn, you know, like take yeah. the time to really figure out what that is. Um, and try to like, you know, make whatever changes you need to, to like, uh, you know, stay motivated, you know? Cause it's like when you come out, when things kinda quote unquote go back to normal, mm-hmm. like, you're you want to be ready to train you want to be ready to go and you want to hit the mats hard and and you know move in the direction you're trying to is there is there a lot of like film study in in bjj i feel like there is it kind of depends on the athlete yeah um like i've always been a really big fan of studying tape so like you know uh for my athletes i like to study their division I also like to study like the top level guys and see how they're moving and what they're doing, what techniques are popular. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu moves, moves through t- trends every like anywhere from like six months to two years. Yeah. So you got to stay on top of the trends and like what what people are playing, what kind of like guard systems they're playing or yeah. uh, moves they're using, submissions they're moving. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean in, in football it's very like strategic sport, right? And so you kind of want to be aware of like what are some particular tendencies for like your opponent. Um, is it is it hard to access like footage of possible opponents or because it's such I don't know if it's like at the level of um, I, I don't know if like there'd be red, readily footage available. There kind of is, yeah. you know, like flow grappling is a really great option. Like they uh, stream live stream pretty much all the big tournaments mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, IBJJF, like uh, you can watch all those tournaments live and just kind of see what's going on and stuff. Uh, I've been really fortunate in the last year to be at like a lot of these big tournaments firsthand. So to like you know, be on the sidelines coaching an athlete and being able to watch, you know, the top names in the sports competing on the mat next to them, like, that's that's a really uh, awesome place to see where jiu-jitsu is going firsthand. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like being right next to the mat and seeing what guys are doing, uh, how, how athletes are moving, you know. So I think getting that firsthand experience uh, and, and being in that, that seat for such a long time that that coaches chair and, like, seeing how all these athletes are moving and what what skills are working and what what aren't it like helps me steer my classes better yeah and my athletes better do you do you find that with the the trends that happen is it just that that people go through different phases where there are like just certain moves that are just more popular than others uh and so i think it always comes down to like a couple big tournaments a year it's uh edcc and and uh and world championships mundials those two tournaments like there's always decisive uh champions Mm. and there's usually some system they're using or uh, or some move that they're using that the others aren't as uh skilled in right like the one of the best ways you can beat someone in jiu-jitsu is take them out of their game Mm. right so if they're good at one style if you can put them in another that they don't know how to play very well but you do it's a really easy way to kind of beat someone in jiu-jitsu so 
I think the real creative athletes are very good at making small adjustments to systems they know already and making them their own. Yeah. So once they kind of make those those changes and uh, start making their own techniques, it's it's quite hard to stop. And uh, then everyone studies them because they're like, wow, look at this guy. He just smashed everyone in his division. Watch this woman here. She like, you see that guard she was playing? Like, I need to study that. I need to learn that. So I, I think when we start... Uh, seeing what's working for others and then mm. you know it adapts to the next year all of a sudden everyone's playing it so yeah. now you need to know, learn what to do to shut it down mm. but it's so funny because it always comes back to fundamentals right there's something fundamentally you can always use to crack the code yeah 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 so what uh i mean let's say going back to your like athletic experience what was some of the, the highlights of of your competition days like what did you enjoy the most about competing, competing. yeah that's a good question um Man, I had a lot of like tournaments that I won or matches that I won that kind of meant a lot to me. I won U.S. Open. That was that was you know I talk I was talking about this with a student the other day. I won U.S. Open. I can't remember what year it was. Uh, it was I was blue belt at the time and like I just kind of went on the mat with this like mentality that like nobody was going to beat me today. Mm. Like I knew that was my day. You know what I mean? And I went in and like I submitted a lot of opponents really quickly and uh, I won my division and got my purple belt on the podium. Nice. And uh, I think there's something really special about getting promoted on the podium. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I have a lot of, like, new athletes that are new to jiu-jitsu and, uh, I, you know, talking about them, what it means to earn a belt, you know? And it's, like, it's a really special thing to get it in the gym with your, like, uh, with your team, um, you know, to get it from your coach like that. But, man, to earn it on the podium is like, just, like, a totally different experience, you so know? You, you, you get it on the podium by winning the competition? If your coach chooses, that's the way he's going to promote you. Mm. So that's, like, a really awesome way to kind of move up to your next rank right. you know what i mean because yeah. like jiu-jitsu is not like some other martial arts where there's like a testing you do and they like are judging your your moves and stuff like that it yeah. doesn't really work that way it's like jiu-jitsu is more about your ability and kind of proving yourself on the mat so mm. um usually those those kind of showings are the real special ones um do, yeah. do you ever find that so something you know that happens in like other like fitness arenas not necessarily um you know, with competition sports, but like, with regards to like deciding like who moves on to getting like a, a higher degree of belt, right? Right. Um, how how do you find the system as it as currently is, and then do you ever find like examples of like someone getting promoted maybe too fast or um, like not? Because I don't know if there's like a standard that everybody like necessarily follows, right? Yeah, it's that's that's an interesting thing to bring up because jujitsu promotions are very subjective. Yeah, and uh, especially when you're working in jujitsu, and uh, you know, kind of depends on the role you're playing in the gym. Like sometimes you see people get held back for a long time. Sometimes you see pr people get promoted too early. Mm. So that's why it's quite tough. You know, like you you, you want to feel like your student is ready for that next challenge as, mm. as best as possible. Um, it's, it's hard to make it with criteria with moves, you know? It, it's not really about just, like, learning moves. Because yeah. you can have young, like, you know, I, I have some really amazing athletes in here that calisthenics that they can practice are, yeah. like, far more complex than some of the jiu-jitsu moves. Mm. So I can teach them very complex jiu-jitsu. Mm. But for them to apply it in sparring against an experienced opponent, yeah. maybe not right away. You know, yeah. like, it's going to take some work before they can get there. So you, you'd, you'd, you'd probably say that... It, it could it could be detrimental to like the athlete if they're promoted too quickly 
For sure. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, you know, like, uh, I brought my purple belt, and, like, some could argue that, like, I got my purple belt a little fast. Mm. You know, like, looking back, if my coach would have kept me at blue a little bit longer, it wouldn't have been bad for me. Mm. You know, like, I could have used, like, maybe another six months or a year competing at blue, because I I did really well at blue, and then I hit purple, and things got really tough. And I lost for maybe, like, a year and a half. Yeah. So on every tournament I did, I was losing either the first or second round. Yeah. And that's tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, near the end of my time at Purple Belt, I started to win again. And, that, and those were, like, really special moments again where I was, like, because I faced so much adversity to get to b- back on the podium, mm-hmm. you know? And it's tough. Like, jiu-jitsu is kind of like life in that sense. It's like you finally start doing good, and then uh, jiu-jitsu throws a curveball at you, and it gets real hard. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you just got to kind of weather the storm. A lot of jiu-jitsu is about perseverance, you know, because mm. you start to get good and you start to think you're getting better, and then you go up a division, and it's so much harder than the previous one. Mm. Um, yeah. Can you can you get demoted? Nah. No. Uh, you hear, hear it kind of happen every once in a while, but it's really rare. Because you would think, like, if I thought of, let's say, uh, like, weight classes, yeah. right, uh, where generally, like, the higher the weight class, the more, like, difficult things can get so you would think that maybe let's say you got maybe your coach like you know admitted to making a mistake and like promoted someone too fast just and knowing that like the like purple belt level was just way too difficult for that particular athlete to continue competing like right would you ever just be like hey talk to the athlete and say hey let's go back down to blue belt and compete more there so that we can like get the confidence back up or or anything like that. It's it sounds like a great idea, yeah. but unfortunately, uh, jujitsu doesn't work like that. Like once you're there, you're kind of there. Because then we get into a mixed thing called sandbagging, where like you see guys get held back for too long, and then they're just like killing it. They're just killing it. They're yeah. not in the right class for themselves. Yeah, yeah, so you yeah. see that side too. Mm. But look, like we can't only look at jujitsu as uh, as a competitor's perspective. Because yeah. I would say in the normal gym you you go to, less than ten percent of the students actually compete. Mm. It's not that many, you know, so most of them are in it for like kind of a personal journey for themselves, you know, so like if, if all I was using was competition experience, like, you know, very few guys would move forward, and mm. especially by the time you hit purple belt, like the level is so much higher of competition, like you're starting to get some real serious athletes by the time you hit purple. So, yeah, like it, it comes down to other criteria and like, you know, some of the criteria, like most of it has to do with kind of like how my team treats each other. Yeah. You know, that's something that I always kind of really look at. Uh, especially now is just like what role you're playing in the academy like how do you how are you with new students how are you towards your teammates um ability is definitely still a factor like how they're sparring with the other students yeah um but that's not all it comes down to me uh, for for me at least you know what i mean like uh, i want to see good martial arts not just a good athlete yeah you know so like i want to see some of that like martial arts spirit in them and that like you know that they're still there trying to better themselves as a person and be part of the team yeah. like that all stuff means a lot to me and I, I thought uh you know i talked to you before about like what so once you get your black belt like then what's like the next level after that right and it, it was quite interesting like you brought up like the different paths that people can go they can either continue like down that obviously that competition route um but you know you're deciding to go more of like coaching and and you've had some community kind of like outreach, um, you know, things that you've been working on. Um, but it is quite interesting to think of it as like it, it starts getting beyond like just the sport in itself. Like there's such a dynamic of, of like what are the other things that you're doing to kind of help with your team or your community or 
um, just to be a better person. Right. Really. So I thought that was quite, quite interesting. Yeah, for like uh, at least for me, like uh, like oh, so something uh, one of my coaches used to talk about. Maybe it was Olavo. Olavo Abreu is the person I got my black belt from. Uh, you know, a lot of people just talk about the time that it takes because it's like three years between your first and second degree in mm. jiu-jitsu. Same for, like you start off with no degrees. First degree is three years. So it's like, what are you gonna do in those three years? You know. So for me, it was like, how how am I going to spread jujitsu in Indonesia? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Southeast Asia, that was kind of the way I looked at it. So like, how could I get involved with like more children's programs? Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a few years back, I did some like work at the Green School, and that was really cool. They mm-hmm. would come down and, and train at the gym with us, um, and that was really awesome. Uh, we did some work with uh, a couple different orphanages, yeah. and that was really great to work with the children's homes and like get them on the mats. Um, I've been really fortunate. I have a black belt under me named Jess Frazier, uh, who is a super hard worker who has uh, Australian Girls in Gi, mm. which is a really big uh, women's organization in Australia. They have like massive camps, and it's very empowering for women. And I think what she does for the sport's like really inspiring. Um, it's uh, like to play some very small role in, in that woman's like jujitsu career was like really important to me. You yeah. know, like just helping. Just helping her get to her black belt so she can continue like spreading her message was really a cool thing to be a part of, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, you know, j- just a small role in that, but it was it meant a lot to me, you know. And, and like, and, and I know that's gonna help leave some of my mark in jujitsu, like knowing I got to help people get to where they were trying to go. Yeah. Um, even now, you know, like uh, the athletes I get to work with now, like it's cool to see the the lights turn on with their passion for jiu-jitsu you know yeah. and like the the more i can kind of spread jiu-jitsu because like i felt jiu-jitsu really touched my life and if i can see it touch others the same way like that's that's something really special you get to share with people you know mm. what are some uh projects that you're looking to to work on in the relative like near future that's a good question it's, it's really kind of tough right now just because of like the global situation sure. right so yeah. like my, my heart's really in rituals right now like you know, I opened at a, uh, or started our team at a, like a tough time. You know, it's like a, like seriously, like a month after I opened the border shut. You know, right. so really just trying to get uh, a good group of people together that are enjoying jujitsu. You know, I'd really like to see my team grow here a little bit more. Um, I'd really like to get involved and start teaching kids again. It's something that I've always been passionate about and found really rewarding. Mm. Um, I'd like to continue helping uh, Lonnie with her competitions that she has coming up for the year. Like, again, we're just kind of on hold waiting to see what competitions are going to pop up. Yeah. But, like, keeping her sharp and ready. Like, uh, you know, we've worked really hard in the last year, and we saw a lot of results early on, and we were we were on a roll, so we want to mm-hmm. see that continue. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of just my focus right now. So with regards to, like, future competitions like how do you think the landscape is going to change you know you think of all these like sports that are starting to restart up but they're doing it with like zero attendance right yeah for fans or um you know in bjj like how do you think it's going to affect the way the competitions are run so we're seeing some of that change already like there's been a couple competitions already that aren't allowing an audience or they're only allowing the coaches to be there yeah uh so it's it's definitely changing but I think it's really great that there still are jujitsu competitions happening. Like I think that really inspires people to get on the mats because those are like those moments of glory are like real special for an athlete. You know, mm-hmm. it's really it's like what we work so hard for is to get out there and compete. Yeah. So like uh, to see others competing now, I think gives a lot of others hope to kind of like keep pushing forward through whatever they're going through right now. You know, so mm-hmm. the day will come where they'll get back on the mat and they'll be able to get to compete themselves. 
Yeah. Do you think, has there been any competitions in Bali before? No, not really. Maybe yeah. some small local ones, but uh, yeah, nothing super organized. Yeah. Would that be something difficult to kind of organize here? Uh, not necessarily. Maybe yeah. it's something we could look into in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Southeast Asia is is open to jiu-jitsu competitions. I think it's it's growing a lot in, in Indonesia. Yeah. Uh, we see quite a few tournaments in Jakarta as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, maybe something that further down the road we could look at doing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool. I mean, I think... Um, you know, kind of going down that idea of like starting to organize things in Bali and help build the sport. Um, I know we talked recently about setting up uh, like a kind of like a training camp or retreat. Um, like, what do you think would be like for for those people that are looking to you know eventually start traveling again, start doing um, going to like destination like facilities uh, like those in Phuket? Like, what what do you think would be like the big draw of coming to train in Bali? Oh man, there's so much that comes into like the Bali experience, you know, mm-hmm. and like uh, I think if you've never came and trained in Bali before and like haven't seen the lifestyle, it's like it's really something you kind of just got to experience firsthand. But I think it's how we train out here and the mentality that we have is something that's really special and unique. Yeah, and especially if you're like kind of seeking for like some deeper motivation, like Bali's a really great place to go because like. I think when you travel, like people go into that like wanderlust mode where they're really switched on and open. For sure. And if you can put someone in an environment where they're trying to better themselves and learn while being like switched on like that in that wanderlust state, I think it's like, it's like the secret sauce. Mm. You know, you get someone in, in that mindset, you're really gonna leave a mark on them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of what I experienced like years ago when I first traveled to Phuket. You know, like they they planted a seed for what I really wanted. Mm. You know, I saw a lifestyle that I wanted to live. Uh, um, I saw athletes training a way that uh, inspired me to work harder. Like, you need to come and have those experiences to, like, push yourself further in the yeah. gym and on the mats. And I think it's, like, we've had a couple of, like, workshops and, and training camps with regards to, like, the calisthenics and, and other stuff that we do. And I do find that, like, after each workshop where, you know, we attract, you know, anywhere between 10 and 20 or even 30 people, um but being in that environment where you have so many people kind of training towards uh, very similar goals and i think the environment like just pushes everybody to to be better and then also just it it re-energizes you and reinvigorates you to to continue that uh, training process even after you leave um so i think it's it's quite nice to incorporate those kind of it's kind of like going to competitions but maybe not on the competition level um, you're still getting that opportunity to be in a similar environment and also too like it it pushes you to just be better i think it, it's it's very easy to get kind of stuck in whatever bubble you're in and just only look at the people that are immediately around you and uh if you're if you're like stuck in like a big city or something um you know you kind of lose sometimes you lose sight of like what else is possible mm. out there and so what's quite nice about some of these kind of training camps is you get to meet people from like all over the world and see that it's not just your like little community that's doing stuff but it's just happening everywhere yeah 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 that's a, that's a really good point like i think uh i think that's what makes bali so special it's this like cultural melting pot right mm. you get these people from all walks of life and we all share something in common like me it would be jujitsu 
or calisthenics mm-hmm. or whatever our passion is that we bring to the table. But when you get those people together from all over the world, you're right. It brings this like really different perspective. You get that paradigm shift. You start looking at things a little differently. Yeah. Um, and th- those are where you make those big gains, you know, those big Massive. changes in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, d- I definitely find that it, uh, Because sometimes too, you know, like I think people, especially when they're training by themselves or they're continuing to train with the same partners, like even, even the idea of like what is hard training, right? Like people's perspective of that, like is, is very different. Um, what, what do you think are some of the things that will be different about like this, this retreat training camp that's going to be, uh, here in Bali versus like other, other areas? Uh, I think the biggest thing that, uh, was something we've talked about was just like having the strength training and the injury prevention training kind of like worked into the camp. Cause I feel that's like the biggest thing missing in the jujitsu community. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think a lot of, uh, jujitsu athletes think they just need to stretch. Yeah. Like that's going to fix their problems. <laughs> and like, I, I think like, and like, I love that you laugh because I was so naive once where I thought that would fix all my problems too, yeah. you know? And then I get like my mind opens to the world of calisthenics and like, and proper strength training and, and yeah. mobility, you know? It's, it's, it's interesting, like, I mean, the idea of cross-training has been around for a long time. You know, it would be some, like, for example, like, someone who played uh, or did jiu-jitsu, and they're like, oh, I need stretching, so what am I going to do? I'm going to go do yoga. And, and the thing about, but the thing about it is, like, all these different, like, ideas of cross-training is that no matter what the sport is, the sport in itself, because it only practices um, a certain set of movements or you're always in the same kind of position, like you're you're always inherently going to have um, the opposite or or different aspects of it that's going to be weak, right? Um, but you know, in a, each system in 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 itself, because it's not a just purely a performance training uh, modality, it's it's a sport, and so uh, you're you're naturally going to have blind spots and and areas that you're just not working. So you're you know, yes, you're getting some additional benefit from doing something like yoga, but yoga in itself is also very limiting in, in, in what it does, and it's not um, incredibly structured with regards to just pure performance. Um, so you could do, like, you know, jiu-jitsu, yoga, basketball, and, like, you'd get benefit from doing all of them, but you would still inherently still have, like, certain points that are very uh, weak, and wouldn't necessarily translate to getting better performance on the mat. Right. Um, so I think that's the one thing that we kind of like focus on is like how do we center ourselves so that no matter what is your primary focus or whatever your primary sport is, you know, how can we help you get better at that at that sport? Right. And so I think it's a little bit more systematic in that way um, and it can be more beneficial than just kind of arbitrarily being like, all right, I'm going to do... Um, you know, some stretching program that's going to help you get more flexible. And it's like, well, flexible for what, right? Like, why are you getting more flexible and what capacity? So I think that it's the same thing with regards to like the rehab training. You know, if you're just doing, you know, the random rehab exercises that your physical physical therapist gave you, it's kind of interesting because like there's a lot of physical therapists that they, they actually don't really know much about actual training. Like it's just, just like the rehab portion and they'll right. get you back to relative normality but they don't know how to apply that to like an actual sport right um and it's not to say that they're not there's not physical therapists that are like really good at their job and 
and have other components they add in. So they think of like performance-based physical therapy, um, but there's very, very few in between like that can actually do that. And, and to get access to it, I think that's a hard part because usually the guys that can do that are working with like professional teams and you can't really find them on like a everyday normal gym basis. That's true. Yeah. Man, I remember like one of the things that you showed in the class, I was doing a flexibility class with you, uh, a middle splits class. Yeah. And uh, we were doing the pancake stuff and, and uh, I remember you showing the difference between like passive flexibility and active mobility yeah. and like just the strength that you need to have there. And it, like to me it clicked yeah. in a big sense because like my active mobility is the range of my guard when yeah. I'm playing jujitsu, you know, mm. like I want to have this strong guard with a long reach. Right. I need to have that good curve, you know, mm. but so many people look at the passive flexibility thinking mm. that's what they need to have a good guard, but they're missing the strength at the end range, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like, I remember you teaching that class and that's something that really stuck out to me. I'm like, man, so many great jujitsu athletes are limiting their potential of how good their guard can be because yeah. they're not working their mobility. Yeah. And that's that's half of jujitsu is playing off your back. Yeah. And so all they would have to do is work the mobility. They can yeah, because you. I mean, I know like uh, there's a lot of strategy in in, in jujitsu. Whether you're like, obviously like your level of engagement, right? So you can be slightly relaxed in certain positions, but um, yeah, you're never. I don't think you're ever like in just a fully like passive uh, mode. Right. Um, even if you're resting, you're still like you're still slightly actively engaged and and those end ranges particularly is like generally where most people get hurt right when you get pushed to pushed into your end range and and then forced to um to engage your your body to to demonstrate some level of uh, strength in those end ranges um so you find it, I mean, it's quite common in, let's say, for example, like in bodybuilding where they're just constantly training like a short range of movement. And if they get pushed anywhere beyond that, then there's just like risk of injury goes like super high. Right. I mean, everything about BJJ is about like getting like is submissive holds, right? I mean. Right. And so you're, you're constantly pushing your joints into those end ranges. Um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of, if anything, that's a lot of what the mobility kind of stuff is, is like, it's basically like pushing you into a submissive hold and then trying to train and be active in that, in that, in that submissive hold. Um, I mean, obviously BJJ being like that application to the extreme. Um, is, is it, what, what are some of the common injuries that you see in, uh, in BJJ? In Jiu Jitsu? Yeah. Um, it's usually, it's usually the same ones. It's a lot of knee injuries. Mm. A lot of lower back, yeah. a lot of ribs, uh, shoulders, sometimes elbows or wrists. Yeah. 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 Is it, does the kind, does the type of injury that's most common change depending on the, the belt level? Sometimes belt level, sometimes the size of the athlete. Yeah. Like w with my smaller athletes, I, I see like more, more lower back injuries, more rib injuries. Mm -hmm. My bigger athletes, I tend to see more knee injuries, mm -hmm. but also it could be like the the jiu-jitsu systems that they play, you know? Uh, Deli Hiva puts a lot of stress on your knee. You know, you play a lot of Deli Hiva, you're probably gonna have some knee issues. Um, if you're playing upside down a lot, you're probably gonna have some lower back and neck issues, you know? Neck's yeah. another big one. I've had yeah. a lot of, like, especially long-time practitioners, you see them all with herniated discs in their neck and their back. Yeah. You know, they have tons of problems long-term, and again, it's that, like, uh, all that preventative care we could have done over the years that we just, we didn't tap into because it wasn't part of the culture of the sport. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, kind of, for me, it seems quite logical. Like, if you had a particular fighting style that's like, um, how do you pronounce it? Dela Diva? Uh, Dela Diva. Dela Diva. Yeah. So if you're more prone to a certain kind of injury playing this kind of style, yeah. it almost makes kind of just logical sense that you would do things to kind of prevent that type of injury. Right. But you don't really see it very much in the, in the jiu-jitsu world. No, you don't. So what do people do? They just like, oh, I just have a high risk of getting a knee injury? I think it's a lot of it is like ignorance. People are unaware. Yeah. Um, and then even if they're aware, they get injured. Tough, tough guy mentality. Yeah. I'll get better and then get back on the mat. Yeah. And then it's that vicious cycle, right? Is it almost accepted? It's like, oh, if you practice like this, you're probably going to just get a... Sooner or later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, that's something I'd really like to change about jiu-jitsu, at least in my practice. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to prevent those injuries from be re- reoccurring, you know? Yeah. So, when you think about, like, let's say practicing the differences, because we do both, uh, we have both gi and no gi here. Mm-hmm. Um... Is there, I mean, is there one or the other that is better to start with versus the other? So you, you, you've heard an argument for a long time, like people always say start with the gi. Yeah. And like, I think what it should really come down to is what you're passionate about. Because mm. like some of my athletes here, they've started doing no gi first because it's, it's either was convenient for their schedule or they just gravitated towards it. And I think that's great. You know, like if, if you're feeling passionate about no gi grappling, like come do some no gi classes. Yeah. If you're feeling passionate about the gi, come do some gi classes. But I really recommend dabbling in both mm-hmm. because they're so similar yet so different at the same time, you know? So you just got to kind of see what you're gravitating towards, what, what you like more. Like, no gi is more fast. It's more slippery. Uh, it's different grips for control. Uh, there's more leg locks. There's more... Uh, there's different chokes. It's just a, it's a, it's a little different, you know. Mm. So uh, people argue that no gi is the harder one to start with, especially because it's so slippery. Whereas mm. gi, you have the gi. It slows everything down. It forces you to be more technical. Mm. Um, I've always said that friction that the gi makes is what makes good technique, right? If I try to apply a jiu-jitsu technique uh, in the gi and it's not working or it's tiring me, then my technique is off. But mm. if I can execute it cleanly without the friction resistance that I'm getting from the gi, yeah. I know my technique is right and good, and I can move forward with that technique. You know? are, are there some high level athletes that just they just choose one path and they don't do the other? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a personal preference. Some guys dabble in both. Some athletes definitely go like uh, either way. But uh, I think now more than ever we're seeing more of a split mm. where we're starting to see some athletes that are just in the gi or just no gi. Um, for a long time, it was always the gi athletes beating the, the no gi athletes. Like, they're, they're the ones that could go both ways. Mm. Uh, like, let's put it this way. If I train in the gi, I can usually take my gi off and still do okay in no gi. Mm. But I've never seen it the other way around. I've never seen a good no gi practitioner go put on a gi and do okay. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, they sink right back down to the bottom. They just wouldn't know, like, the grips or anything. It, the, it's the grips. Yeah. It's the grips and, and how they can control your collar and... Uh, and tie you up not, with a gi. And not used to the friction. And they're not used to the friction. So they tire really fast. Mm. So like you'll see sometimes even a more conditioned athlete that's not as familiar with training in the gi. And the friction that the gi creates just exhausts them. Mm. And then you see someone not as athletic, way more technical, just dance around them like it's yeah. their first day. That's cool. <laughs> so, I mean, like recently we had one of the one of the members kind of get a small like cauliflower Incident. Mm. Is that is that something more common in no gi than it is in gi? Somewhat, because there's more front headlock positions. Yeah, you gotta think like the more the more those ears are getting hit, the more likely uh, 
something like cauliflower ear can come up. Mm. Uh, there's there's some ways you can treat a cauliflower ear. Uh, and what, what is what exactly is a cauliflower? Like what happens? What is a cauliflower? That's ear? a great question. I can't tell you 100% the science yeah. behind it, but basically, I'm pretty sure it's the cartilage in your ear hardens, yeah. and then you're stuck with a big puffy ear that looks like a piece of cauliflower. <laughs> so um, yeah. the trick is, is you got to drain it right at the start. Yeah. And uh, if as long as you ice it and use some com some compression, usually it'll stay down. Yeah. But the problem is, is like jujitsu guys get the bug. So they drain their ear and then they get right back on the mat and then it blows up again gotcha. and then back and forth and back and forth. You don't want to like re-aggravate it over and over again. Yeah, and then eventually what happens is then, then you get some cauliflower ear. Yeah. So you, you can learn to wear it as like a like a point of pride almost, you know, it's like I got I got my cauliflower ears, you know. Yeah. I'm quite lucky. I don't have I don't really have cauliflower ear at all. I, I just I had the jeans for it for whatever reason. Mm. I, got, I got tough ears, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is quite interesting. I mean, I, I know like growing up, it was kind of one of those like badges where you just like if you saw someone with a cauliflower ear, it's probably a good idea not to like mess with that person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's still a good rule of thumb. Yeah, probably. Um, did you find that like with regards to even let's say even like those that gravitate more towards gi or no gi, like they generally have different kind of personalities as well. Uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Not not anything really like that stands out too much. Mm. Um. Yeah, I think I think jujitsu attracts kind of the the same sort of people for the most part. It's a, it's usually more of a, a little bit more of an intellectual martial art. So uh, I find most of my pre, uh, students are pretty intelligent people and uh, passionate about what they do in life. And um, there's something about the complexity of jujitsu that really attracted them. They like how right. systematic it is. They like how technical it is. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's really usually you know, what attracts people. And with regards to like just general martial arts uh, as a whole, like where do you see how, how does like BJJ fit in relative to like other combative sports? Um, how does it fit in? Uh, I you know I just think it's. Uh, it's probably the most major component to any sort of grappling. I think when people think of like a grappling martial art nowadays where it's like about throwing and, mm. and uh, submitting someone, uh, submission holds, like I think uh, people gravitate towards Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. That's like kind of the one that piques a lot of interest. Um, I think because it's a component of mixed martial arts, it is one of the more popular ones. I think a lot of people get introduced to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu through uh, MMA. They, mm. they watch a UFC or something like that, and they see a submission, and they're like, whoa, that's really cool. I want to go learn some of that stuff. And I think it's a uh, close, close relation to MMA uh, helps bridge the gap for people to come in and, and try yeah. it. And, and I think a lot of more traditional, old, uh, like the uh, other martial arts that you could practice, um, I think have kind of fallen into like a different class almost. You know, yeah. um, People like the traditional side of the... the uh, martial arts, uh, so maybe they're like Taekwondo pra practitioner, or karate practitioner, judo, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it happens to be. Uh, they tend to gravitate towards the uh, the, the more traditional aspect of that. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, I feel like people that want to compete in combat sports, it's a little different. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I think that really kind of falls down to like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, yeah. MMA. You know, like that's because it's because there's more competition aspect to it. There's more real life application. Yeah, we tend to attract the people that want to do something that's a little bit more hands-on a little bit more aggressive yeah yeah and you think about let's say going away from now competition like what are the benefits of of learning uh jiu-jitsu with regards to like real life application oh that's a good question too um i think it's just 
great exercise. Like I, you never see someone leave a jiu-jitsu class not completely exhausted. I think exhausted. it's incredibly exhausting. Yeah, it's so fatiguing. It's it's and it's real heavy on your nervous system too. Like you're just shot after a jiu-jitsu class. It's great, you know. So um, I think also for people that have very busy minds, jiu-jitsu is great because it's like really complex problem solving mm. with time under pressure. You know, so like you gotta you gotta make a you gotta make a lot of fast decisions really quickly and that are really complex mm. and uh, I think that gives you some mental fatigue that's really nice sometimes too so like not only is it physically exhausting it's mentally exhausting too yeah uh, pushes your memory really well too you know like uh, there's so many steps that come into with everything in jiu-jitsu um, it's great it's just I think kind of building a tougher mindset for people too like I feel like people that practice jiu-jitsu tend to persevere pretty well mm. um, yeah it makes you more of a team player it makes you feel a part of something um, yeah, I think jiu-jitsu has, like, a lot of value. Mm. Uh, like, I, 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 the, all the time I've spent in jiu-jitsu, I've never felt like it's been wasted time. Yeah. And, like, in, with regards to, like, being a, um, like, something that is a competitive, like, art, um, how, how would it compare with other kinds of, like, competitive arts, like, in, let's say, in real life situation where you're actually Oh, like self-defense with, application. Yeah, right. I think jiu-jitsu is great for depending on the situation right mm. like uh obviously like any sort of you gotta get away from a large group of people uh it's not great you know what i mean like like you don't want to be pulling guard in a bar fight where people are going to start stomping <laughs> on you right, you know right. what i mean yeah, yeah. um and i really think it's the style of jiu-jitsu you're learning too because jiu-jitsu is a big pool of of there's so much jiu-jitsu to choose from now you yeah. know what i mean there's there's sports jiu-jitsu, which is like, you know, you see like a lot of fancy guard work. You barely see any takedowns. You see jiu-jitsu for MMA, mm. and then you see self-defense jiu-jitsu. So it's like, it kind of depends on like what avenue of jiu-jitsu you've chosen to learn. Mm. So self, self-defense perspective, it can be really great on if like you need to like subdue someone. You need to slow someone down. Yeah. I think the control jiu-jitsu offers is great. If I need to like hold someone down and not let them get away... There's nothing better than jiu-jitsu. Like, yeah. It's just really great for controlling people. Um, so, yeah, in that respect, I think it's great for self-defense. Uh, I th- also think it's the confidence that jiu-jitsu gives you. Um, I think if you you know, you know suffer from having low self-esteem, low self-confidence, like, jiu-jitsu really builds a big part of that up in you because you, you become aware that you can handle yourself in those situations better than you thought. Mm. And I think because when we practice jiu-jitsu and we spar, we can do it quite high intensity. So mm. we know when it counts... A lot of our jujitsu is going to be there, yeah. And I, and I think that's something that's really special about it. So um, I think I think there is a lot of real life application for self defense, yeah. but it really depends on who your coaches were. Like I've been really blessed to have some amazing coaches that have like showed me other sides of jujitsu that I wouldn't have learned at a regular academy. Yeah. You know, they they worked with a lot of law enforcement and military. And they gave me a really different perspective on what to do in self defense yeah. situations. And I think even for m- most people, like you know, we're always constantly. I mean, at least we need to. Uh, prepare ourselves for for the kind of the unknown right like I mean, right you of course you can always be proactive and say like i'm never going to get into a fight i mean but that essentially means that you're you're never going to be the one to provoke a fight right um but that doesn't mean that somebody else is not going to be the instigator right and in those kind of situations then what are you going to do right um you know you would at least hope to have at least some kind of fighting chance in um in whatever situation you kind of get into um but so i do yeah i do agree with you like that i think it's really quite good um for sure obviously it depends on the situation if you've you know if you've got five guys like about to jump you like you probably don't want to be rolling around on the ground no nope. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um 
so so yeah i mean i think you know if you wanted to go super i mean i think that probably combined with some kind of uh striking um martial arts are there any particular striking styles that you think work well or in conjunction or are better than than others really for me when it comes to striking the only two uh styles i like is boxing and, and muay thai mm -hmm. um dutch kickboxing is amazing too i'm a huge fan of dutch kick kickboxing which is yeah. uh, very, very similar it's like the both both those two combined basically mm -hmm. um yeah I, th I think it's great self-defense like you don't necessarily want to be kicking people i think punching people is the way to go but yeah. like even then it's it's risky, man. So, yeah. Like it's just a totally different world when you start looking at it from a self-defense perspective. There's just so many more variables, so much more stuff that you got to worry about. Yeah, uh, there's a lot more going on. So yeah. there's um, no like weight classes in, in real definitely life. Definitely no <laughs> weight classes. There's also like obstacles and like oh, yeah. all these other things that we don't normally have to deal with. Mm. Um, so here's the thing: like anytime I've heard of a student getting in a situation where they're dealing with like someone being really aggressive or an instigator and it seems like it's going to turn into a fight it's their composure that gets them out of it mm. and i think you get these people that are used to intimidating people and bullying people but they have these composure in these situations that kind of pull themselves out and i think when you get someone with that bullying mentality uh faced with someone with that can maintain that level of composure under pressure that's what really throws them off mm. you know and then they get left alone and and that's like the special thing that if you're lucky enough, jujitsu can give you, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's it's. I mean, for sure, like having. Um, I mean, your the way you hold yourself, right, in that situation. You know, if you're if you easily like, let's say, cower, or um, if you, you know, obviously giving signals that, um, that you don't have that sense of composure. Mm -hmm. I think uh, can definitely affect like how someone reacts to you or how they try to instigate you into or bait, try to bait you into doing something that you don't necessarily want to do right um have you ever been in any like real life fights yeah maybe when i was younger and a kid and stuff like that you yeah, know i mean but you're a pretty big dude so i don't wouldn't think like too many people are walking up on you yeah i mean it would happen every once in a while like uh like again like mine were always like composure based situations where it was yeah. just like i'd be out at a bar and like maybe somebody pushed me and i told them to chill out yeah. and then that's all it really took you yeah. know what I mean? And again, it was the composure that I brought into those situations that were just like, you just need to calm down or you're really going to get hurt sort yeah. of thing. And then I think it was just that vibe was coming out. Mm. And then they realized they weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, like, you, like, you're right. I am a big guy. And uh, I don't think I go looking for that, those sort of situations either. No. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, been good for me. <laughs> mm. But yeah, it's been a long time kid you know as a kid we all got in fights when we were younger i think or at least a handful of us did yeah i think uh for sure like your environment is gonna kind of also i think that's what's good about like the social support system right is like it helps like mold like who you are and like how you're going to behave in certain situations and whether you're going to be like super aggressive um i think for sure like all that kind of stuff interrelates yeah, I think uh, I think also having martial arts as an outlet because like I was quite an angry kid for the most part, so like mm. you know fights would come and go, but like I think having the outlet of martial arts where I had like a place where I could go and like let some of that out in like a more healthy way mm. was like a really great outlet for me. And I'm not saying like if you're pissed off, you need to go like try to knock someone out at the gym, but like yeah. it's definitely like a place where you can go like release some of your aggression. Mm. You know, in kind of a very controlled environment for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it, it happens, but it, I think it, it, it makes it easier. Like, you know, when you, you know, you can go, uh, 
find someone that likes to spar hard, you know, and you can have that hard round with the, the people you need to spar with, you know, mm -hmm. I think that, I think that's great, you mm -hmm. know. Do you, um, do you miss competition? Sometimes I do, but I feel like I had that experience, you know what I mean? Yeah. I competed, like, my first maybe, like, eight, nine years, it was, like, pretty heavy, like, I was doing competitions all the time, mm -hmm. and then, um, yeah, I don't know, I did a couple more after that, but I think, like, the drive to kind of keep pushing that, that that level was was just starting to fade out you know mm -hmm. what I mean like I really enjoyed the competitions I did at Black Belt I think it was like those were really special moments for me mm -hmm. and I was happy I did it like I really wanted to compete at Black Belt yeah but like even those days where like it'll come up I'll be like oh it'd be really cool to do a competition again usually like the next day or the, or the day after it's gone mm -hmm. so if I don't have that drive I know I don't really want it yeah. so if the drive ever comes back and it's there I'd love to go compete but right yeah. now I'm just like I'm really enjoying helping my team grow mm -hmm. like I think I have some really like potentially t like uh, a lot of athletes with a lot of potential and a lot of talent already and I'd like to see them be successful I think at this point in my life it's about me being a coach not an athlete yeah yeah I think with regards to competition too like especially when you're at that level you can't really kind of go into it like just half half ass you can't I mean you just get up end up getting like embarrassed or get hurt yeah and and that's that's a real a real thing especially like black belt level you know like I'm not going against guys that are like doing jujitsu as a hobby like at, at my level it's like really people that have been really committed for a long time and yeah. they take it really seriously yeah. so uh, I got to be ready you know yeah. and and also like you know you got to have the right team around you that's pushing you and getting you prepared mm -hmm. and uh, like as a competitor you need to be selfish you know so like I can't be selfish I have a team I need to look after like I have athletes that I'm trying to get ready to win big tournaments and right. stuff. so I can't I don't, I'm not in a position where I could turn those reins over to anyone and let them be the coach you yeah. know what I mean because you'd have to put in quite a few hours to, to get back into like that level of competition shape yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's it's good though like uh, man, i man i've always loved to like getting ready with the guys and stuff like that or my teammates you mm -hmm. know like i love to help push them and get them in, in that shape they need to be uh but yeah I, I think my place on the mat is more as a, as a coach than it is a, as an athlete at this point mm. well cool so um i'm supposed to have lonnie which is uh your like your main athlete that you're coaching right now mm -hmm. she's gonna come on for a podcast soon and then we're gonna have both you guys come back and then talk a little bit more about the kind of the dynamics between like coach and athlete and and uh, talk about i think i think that would be kind of an interesting um series of like of discussions like with us now lonnie here in a bit and then with both you to come on later yeah that'd be really fun yeah. i'm looking forward to that mm -hmm. cool well uh, is there anything else you want to... Uh, where can uh, everybody kind of find you? Oh, uh, you can find me uh, in Bali at Nirvana Strength. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagrams. My my Instagram's uh, RitualsJJ. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, uh, just come train if mm. you can. If you're interested in jiu-jitsu, you've done it before. Maybe we've trained together before and you want to come out. Let's do it. Let's get on the mats. Yeah, and we'll hopefully have some details out um, relatively soon about the training camp that we're planning for 2021. Um, it's kind of weird saying that date. I feel like it's very like futuristic. I know, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully things open up here in Bali soon. I think the plan is still to open up in like mid September. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. You never know what's gonna what's gonna happen. Um, but uh, thank you for joining in and listening to another episode of the Nirvana Strength Practitioners Panel uh, with uh, Justin Seidel. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we'll see you uh, next time. Uh, until then, uh, stay strong and keep training hard.